Grace, mercy, and peace are yours from our triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. The Word of God for our meditation this morning is the first part of our second reading, Romans chapter 4, verses 1 through 5, and we'll hear again these words. Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. This is the Word of our God, my dear brothers and sisters in Christ. Sanjay, your foreign exchange student from India, comes down into the kitchen one morning and finds you sitting at the kitchen table with a cup of coffee and an open Bible. He makes himself a cup of tea and he sits down across from you at the table and he asks the question that's been on his mind for quite a while. So, what's your Christian God like? What a wonderful opportunity. How would you answer a question like that? Maybe you would take him to that passage that we've heard several times already this morning. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. Maybe you would page in your open Bible to Exodus chapter 34 and talk about the God who reveals himself as both the God of perfect holiness and justice, but at the same time perfect grace and mercy and compassion. Or perhaps you could take him to the portion of God's word before us for the sermon this morning and talk about this God who justifies the ungodly. God justifies the ungodly. My friends, that is an extremely rare concept. Every man-made, non-Christian religion in the world teaches essentially the same thing, that if you want to have a relationship with God and be right with Him, then you have to obey, you have to do the right things. You get to heaven by right living. This false teaching is called works righteousness. And the Bible, from beginning to end, is a protest against the very idea. This morning, let's remind ourselves again just what our God is really like. He's not the God of quid pro quo. He's not the God of tit for tat. He is the God who justifies the ungodly. That's good, my friends, because by nature, you and I are the ungodly. And yet, in Christ, we are also the justified. Let's talk about Abraham. To the Jews... Abraham was a rock star. I mean, he was just this great shining example of how to get right with God, of a man who could live so perfectly that he actually earned the favor of God. And certainly they had some evidence on their side, right? In the Old Testament reading today, we heard how Abraham, at just a word from God, picked up everything as a 75-year-old man and moved to a country he didn't know really anything about. Later on, after he arrived, there, he selflessly gave his nephew Lot the choice of which land he would like for grazing his flocks and herds. And then later, when the Lord commanded it, Abraham was actually willing to sacrifice his one and only son Isaac just because God commanded him to. In an ancient rabbinical writing, now I want to highlight this is not God's word, this is not the Holy Scriptures, but we find this passage. Abraham was perfect in all his dealings with the Lord and gained favor by his righteousness throughout his life. Pretty plain what they thought of Abraham, right? Many Jews simply believed that if, if they could just imitate Father Abraham, well, then they too could earn God's favor. Now, Abraham is certainly worthy of imitation. After all, he is the father of all those who believe, Scripture tells us. However, perfect? 
not so much. For example, Abraham lied. He told the Egyptians that his beautiful wife Sarah was not his wife but was his sister because he was afraid that they were going to kill him so that they could have her for themselves. And he lied in this way not once, he actually did it twice. His trust was far from perfect, too. God gave him a promise. He would give him a son. But Abraham grew impatient, and so he took matters into his own hands. He took his wife's maidservant, Hagar, and made her his mistress in a shameful attempt to produce an heir. Paul asked an interesting question in our text. What did Abraham, our forefather, what, what did he find out? Uh, what did he discover in this matter? In other words, what did this great patriarch discover about the way to eternal life, God's plan of salvation? Well, he learned that he was a wicked and ungodly sinner by nature. Abraham learned that there was no way he was going to be able to save himself by his own works. And my friends, we are exactly like him. We too are wicked and ungodly sinners. Now, we don't like to hear that, do we? In fact, we like to think of ourselves in different terms. We like to call ourselves by different names. We like to call ourselves the, the not-so-bad, the pretty good, or the better than most. But, but calling ourselves by these names does not change the reality that by nature we are sinful and ungodly. And that shows itself in our lives, right? Just like Abraham, we are sometimes less than honest. And our trust in God is very imperfect. Often we, we don't really rely on his promises. We want to t take things into our own hands. We become impatient. And just like the rest of the world around us, we often lie and cheat and steal and lust and hate. We're lazy and arrogant and rude and selfish. We use foul language. We tear others down with our words. Far more often than we'd like to admit, we put our own sinful wants and desires before the needs of others. My friends, the fact of the matter, the painful fact of the matter is that we were born in sin and we have lived in that sin every day of our lives. We have not measured up to God's standard of absolute sinless holiness. And therefore we have not and cannot earn God's favor. Just exactly the opposite. We've earned nothing but his frown his disapproval, his wrath, and his anger. We've earned nothing but eternal death. My friends, we are, by nature, the ungodly. With all that in mind, isn't it wonderful to know that God doesn't justify the good? God justifies the ungodly. He is the God of perfect justice and holiness for sure. He is the God who hates both the sin and the sinner. But he is also the God of perfect, faithful grace. The God who loves the sinner with an everlasting love. And my friends, it's that love for us that leads God to justify us. Justify is a hugely important word in the Bible. It's a word that's just packed with meaning. really gives us a, a beautiful summary of uh, the gospel of God's grace. It's a word that uh, you should know. 
It's a word that you are going to want to know because it is simply so filled with comfort. The basic meaning of the word justify is to declare not guilty. Really a synonym for the word to forgive. Those who are justified are innocent in God's eyes. A very simple way to remember the meaning of the word justified is to say, God looks at me and it's just as if I'd never sinned. My friends, you are the justified. In God's eyes, it is just as if you had never sinned. Now, wait a minute. Moments ago, I told you that you were the wicked and the ungodly, and I pointed to myself in saying that too. That, that's who we are by nature. But my friends, by the grace of God, we are also the justified. How can that be? Maybe an illustration will help. Uh, let's say you were caught speeding down Waldo Boulevard. Uh, speed limit out there is 25 miles an hour. You were doing 75 miles an hour. And if you think I'm making that up, I'm not making that up. I see that kind of speed out there all the time. So the judge is about ready to throw the book at you and give you the maximum penalty for speeding. But then someone steps forward and says, Judge, I've already paid his fine. It's all done. And the judge simply says that you're free to go. You get off scot-free without having to pay a fine or do anything with no punishment at all. You see, you have been justified. You have been made right in the eyes of the law. It doesn't change the fact that you were speeding. You absolutely were. But now things have been made right. Now that, of course, is a little bit unrealistic. I mean, who's going to step forward and pay your fine for you? But the reality is that Jesus actually did something similar for us. And something much, much greater. He earned our justification. I mean, we stood before the divine judge guilty. Guilty as charged. Guilty as sin. With a long and ugly rap sheet. I mean, every single command of God broken. Uh, every one of his precepts in his words just shattered into a million pieces. And that holy judge had every right, indeed the responsibility, to sentence us to an eternity in hell. But then Jesus stepped forward. St. John calls him our advocate with the Father. So in other words, Jesus is kind of like our defense lawyer. And how does he defend us? Well, he certainly doesn't point at us and claim that we're innocent. He knows better than that. Nor does he point to the judge and just ask for leniency. Oh, come on, judge, they're not all that bad. Lighten up. He knows better than that as well. No, instead, the Lord Jesus points to himself and says, Father... Your honor, I've done it all. I obeyed your law perfectly in their place, every last one of them. And I went to the cross and I shed my holy and precious blood to pay for every last sin of every last person. I have made restitution for them. I have paid their debt in full. And how does the judge react to this? He bangs his gavel and in a loud voice he says, I proclaim the defendants not guilty. My friends, that's justification. Magnificent, wondrous, beautiful justification. We might ask, so what role does faith play in all of this? Because our text says this, Abraham believed God 
and it was credited to him as righteousness. What does faith have to do with justification? What does it mean that God credits righteousness to the believer? Paul helps answer these questions with an example from everyday life. Just earning a paycheck. This is what he writes. When a man works, his wages are not credited to him as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the man who does not work, but trusts God who justifies the wicked, his faith is credited as righteousness. So let's say you agree to mow your neighbor's lawn for $25. You get out there, hot summer day, you mow the lawn, and you stand on his front porch and he hands you the $25 and as he hands it to you he says here you go here's a gift for you out of the kindness out of the generosity of my heart you'd be kind of insulted by that because that's not a gift that's an obligation that's money that you earn that's a paycheck on the other hand if your neighbor and you did nothing for him he did no work for him he just handed you $25 and said Merry Christmas well that actually is a gift you didn't earn it. And that's the way it is with salvation. God wants us to be righteous and sinless. He wants us to be pure and holy. And since we cannot accomplish this in ourselves, he simply hands it to us. He gives it to us as a gift. He credits to us by faith the righteousness of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You see, salvation is a gift received by faith, not a wage earned with good works. That's how God dealt with Abraham thousands of years ago. Abraham who trusted in his promise of the Savior. And that's still how God deals with us today. Who trust that his one and only son lived and died and rose for us. Now please don't misunderstand what I'm saying here. Faith is not a, a good work that we do to secure salvation, to secure God's favor, to gain Christ's righteousness. It's not an action that earns God's acquittal. In fact, faith isn't really our action at all. As the Apostle Paul tells, told the Ephesians, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. So that we are believers in the Lord Jesus is not a reason for us to brag about how smart and clever we are. It's just one more reason to get down on our knees and give thanks to a compassionate and merciful God who even gives us the faith we need to receive the blessings that Jesus won for us. We might think of it this way. What came first, the chicken or the egg? That's the age-old question, right, that really doesn't have an answer. What came first, faith or justification? Well, the answer every time is justification. Sometimes people think that God justifies us because we believe in him. Actually, our God declared the entire world not guilty of sin based on Jesus' perfect sacrifice made at the cross. We call this general or objective justification. Remember, God justifies the ungodly. God says to the whole world, you are not guilty. Unbelief rejects this pronouncement of God, rejects this acquittal. But faith receives it. Spirit-worked faith, a gift of God, receives it so that each of us can say, I am not guilty. Again, Jesus is the one who earned this acquittal, but God gives it to us by faith. He gives us the benefits of it by faith. Faith is that hand that receives the blessings that Jesus won for us. So my friends, through faith, we are justified and the heirs of eternal life. Sanjay's question is a really important one. What is our God like? What is the one true God like? Well, he is the God who forgives sins. 
He is the God who credits Christ's righteousness to the undeserving. He is the God who justifies the ungodly. What wonderful news that is for a sinner like me. What wonderful news that is for sinners like each and every one of you. What wonderful news that is for a world that is filled with sinful and ungodly people. My friends, never tire of hearing that news and never, ever stop sharing it. God grant that for Jesus' sake. Amen.